you believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community, that we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. And God cares about this building and He cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. Now let's begin in Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So from all different areas, all towns and regions comes the religious authorities of the Jewish people in the midst of the teaching of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I won't belabor the point by continuing to read, but apparently, based upon that verse, the religious leaders were sick and needed to be healed. As the story unfolds, none of them are. None of the religious leaders were healed, but the power of the Lord nonetheless was there for the very purpose with a heart and a desire to heal them. If we back up from that phrase a little bit sooner, one of the interesting things to notice in that first sentence, and it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching. You're in a unique position to understand why the power of the Lord, the presence of the Lord was there to heal them as he was teaching. Because we have looked at the biblical pathway and the only pathway of grace, how grace gets to people on earth. It is always through the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, and it must come from an anointed, sent one. Jesus, of course, was sent of his Father. And so when he was teaching, that meant whatever he was teaching on, the Holy Spirit was there to work with him. We must realize that the teaching of the Word of God is spoken by the minister. The power of the Lord that matches what is being taught is present to work for your good. When we discuss grace, when we teach upon grace in the church of God, we know that the grace of God is here to help you get more of it. When we teach on healing and God's willingness to touch sick people and heal them still today as he did in in the old times as soon as we crack open our Bibles and the teaching and the preaching of the word comes forth into your ears about healing rest assured the power of God is present to heal you 
The Bible says that God has exalted his word above his own name, and he performs his word. So when we teach on dominion, and we discuss the dominion mandate, God the Father gave Adam and Eve the dominion mandate in the beginning. They refused to comply. They did their own thing, and that's what most of the people are doing this morning around this city, their own thing. And then Jesus came back and said, no, 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 we're going to get this right. And he grabbed a hold of history, and he showed us how to take dominion with his own life. And when he gave us what we refer to in the New Testament as the Great Commission, it was really a restatement of the dominion mandate that God gave in Genesis. And when we teach on dominion, when we preach on dominion, and you hear the Scriptures on it, the power of the Lord is present to empower you to take dominion on behalf of the kingdom of God. But don't be like the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. The power of the Lord was present to heal them, and not a one of them got healed. And you too could sit and hear all these things and never take dominion. You have to do what you hear. You have to act on it, or it does you no good. Death was the result of Adam and Eve refusing to comply with the dominion mandate and their refusal was called disobedience. And life, in contrast with death, is connected to our acceptance of the dominion mandate, the call of God upon all of our lives to take dominion on His behalf. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that we need desperately the supernatural life, the zoe that we've been talking about, that is a gift from God, from heaven to us. Romans 6.23, our text verse of the sermon says this, For the wages, the consequence of sin is death. God was not willing to stay in heaven and watch all of us suffer the just punishment of our sins and be thrown into hell. So he found a way by using justice, not by breaking justice, not by committing an injustice, but by staying within the boundaries of his own justice. He found a way to satisfy it in Christ so that you don't have to go to hell. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Without Jesus, you can't go to heaven. Without His going to the cross and satisfying the justice of God, taking your punishment for your crimes, you can't go to heaven. So there's absolutely no chance, there is no way anyone could possibly earn the right of entrance into heaven. You can't do that. And we should say it up front. Just because you're in a struggle, just because you're facing difficulties or sickness or attacks or financial problems or whatever it is that you're facing, just because things stink doesn't mean you aren't a person of faith. Joseph and Mary had extraordinary faith in God. They were believing Him and trusting Him and acting upon their beliefs even though it was very difficult. And they were struggling, and it was frustrating. They had people, they had a bounty on their head. They had to flee to Egypt. Where you end up at the end of your donkey journey, when all the dust settles, determines whether or not you have remained in faith, establishing the kingdom of God instead of establishing your own kingdom. Would have been very easy if Joseph had not been a righteous man and had preferred to build his own kingdom like most humans. 
would have been very easy for him to excuse disobedience and chalk it up as just a dream. I had a weird dream last night telling me to run to Egypt. How silly. I have an established business. I've got all these contacts. I've got all these people. I'm in the middle of projects, and they're depending on me. I, I can't leave. Joseph obviously was not afraid to take criticism because he went ahead and remained betrothed to a woman who was pregnant out of wedlock, and they were the scorn and contempt of the whole community. Joseph was an honest, righteous, good man. And that's the kind of man, men, that God has called you to be, where you don't worship the God of mammon and your occupation. The Bible says when you've done all to stand implying you don't know what else to do, you don't know what else you can do, and it looks like you're being defeated, it says, keep standing. When you've exhausted every option and you don't know how you could do anything different, just keep standing. When you've done all to stand, stand under the mighty hand of God. My son came to me last night, late at night, troubled, and he asked me some questions about heaven and about sin and about hell, and he was very concerned about those things, tearfully. Because even when you're 12, you're struggling. Satan's after you. Temptations are there. You got to fight. And I said, son, I want to tell you a Bible verse, and I want you to never forget it. And I share that verse with you. Now unto him who is able to keep me from falling. That's the God I serve. He can keep me from falling. He can strengthen me so I'm not defeated, so I can get back up off the ground when I should have been dead and be declared the winner of the match. Now unto him who is able to keep me from falling, be dominion, power, glory, and honor forever and ever and ever. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do anything very good without his strength, but I can do everything with it. So there's this huge question looming. What must I do to accept the responsibility and the privilege of taking dominion? God commands it. You must take dominion. That's what the Bible says to do. Let me just describe to you, if I may, what Jesus is seeing while this story unfolds. I'm a little bit tongue-in-cheek. You get to Matthew chapter 19, and there's this young strapping lawyer who is very wealthy, and he is operating in dysfunctional dominion. It's all about building his own kingdom. He's probably got a lot of responsibilities business-wise, family-wise. He walks up to Jesus chained to this giant sack of money, and the giant sack of money is his master, and he's a slave. And so this great big sack of money walks up to Jesus using his slave as his spokesman. Jesus is teaching in the streets, and this great big pile of money that owns this young man, and the slave, chained next to the great big sack of money, asks this question, what must I do to escape my slavery? Well, if you know much about slavery, if you wanted to be free, you had to pay a debt, a ransom. They called it the, the debt of redemption and be redeemed as a slave so you could be free. And this man walks up a total slave to his money. And he says, what do I have to do to be free? And Jesus says to himself, hmm, there's only one way 
to ever get this big pile of money to release this human slave. He's going to have to buy out his master to get freedom. And the Bible uses the example of slavery and the understanding that you're treated like a piece of property. And the Bible uses that illustration of Satan. He's your slave master, and you're a slave, and you need to be free. And so when you see the Scriptures talking about redemption and what what Jesus did on the cross, paying the debt you couldn't pay, it is quite literally Jesus Christ with his own blood paying off your debt to your master Satan so that the chains could be taken off of your ankles. And in that sense, every human being ever born in the earth was a slave since Adam and Eve. All of us needed to be redeemed from slavery And so here comes this slave walking up to Jesus, chained to a great big bag of money, and he needs to be free. And Jesus says, here's my advice for you. We're going to have to make this legal. You need to buy your freedom. Go with me, please, to verse 16, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. And the young man said unto him, All these things I've kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Realize those commandments were external commandments. He'd never been arrested. He was essentially saying, I've never been prosecuted in a Jewish court. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't cheated on my wife. I haven't done this or that. I have not broken any of the external commandments of the law. But I know something's not right. What am I missing, Rabbi? And Jesus said unto him, verse 21, if you want to be perfect, now watch this. He's giving him instructions. He's in dysfunctional dominion. He's not going to go to heaven, by the way. You can't. You can't go back into Eden If you're kicked out for refusing to take dominion properly and you're kicked out and God puts flaming swords, angels with flaming swords and says, don't come back, there's only one way back in and it's through Jesus Christ. It's through redemption. If those angels put their flaming swords up for a reason, they'll put them back in their sheath for another reason. And Jesus made the legal path for those angels with the flaming sword to put them away and invite certain people back into the kingdom. If you'll be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I like to say it this way, for great possessions had him. And then said Jesus unto his disciples, listen carefully, verily, I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. See, if you want to get back into the Garden of Eden, you've got to do what God requires to justify those angels putting away their flaming sword. Dysfunctional dominion is what got us booted from Eden, and you cannot get back into the kingdom of God if you refuse to take dominion on God's terms. So there's several interesting things about this situation that I want you to consider. Number one, isn't it interesting that this wealthy young lawyer has everything he could ever want, apparently in the natural realm, and yet he personally is willing to say out loud he knows he's missing something. 
He has an emptiness inside. He knows somehow he is lacking something important that has to do with what happens after he dies. Something about his life is not satisfied because he hasn't really experienced what we call the born-again experience. What is it that he was lacking? Well, naturally, as a Jew and as an attorney and as a lawyer and all the things that came with it in that culture, we safely assume he had all the natural blessings of Father Abraham. He was doing good. So what was he lacking? The second thing to ponder about the story, about this thing that happens, is the essence of this story should not be confused as a Bible story emphasizing the importance of being poor. That's not what the Bible's saying. We've made that very clear that the Bible makes it very, very, very clear in every situation where poverty is mentioned that poverty is the result of sin. So logic dictates if God wants you to be poor, he's telling you to go sin because sin causes poverty. And so some people read this story and they think, see, being rich is wrong. God likes people poor. That's not what this story is saying at all. That's nonsense. We've got to say this because some people just, they can't seem to get it right. They, they read these stories and it's like they have a gift to get it wrong. I, I, don't, I try to help. The advice, the solution to this rich young man's problem, Jesus was not telling him, well, here's what you need to do. You need to become really, really poor. Give away everything you have so you can be poor like me then you can go to heaven because you can't go to heaven unless you're poor. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, after you free yourself from your bondage to your money, come follow me. And I've already showed you all that I really should have to show you about Jesus. He never lacked for anything except courtesy and respect. He lacked that plenty. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head because the city council of the Samaritans won't let me come into town to get a hotel. Jesus wasn't lacking the finances to pay for a hotel. Joseph and Mary weren't lacking finances to pay for a room at the inn. He knocked on the door planning to pay but couldn't pay because there was no room, they said. We'll find out in heaven whether or not that was true or if it was just an excuse. So Jesus wanted to go into Samaria, and he wanted to pay to have a place to sleep that night on his way to Jerusalem. They said, no, get away. We don't like you. So Jesus was lacking in respect. Don't get no respect. Jesus was not being treated good. He wasn't lacking finances. The third thing to consider of the story is Jesus did not say, and this is another thing people do with this story, and it's wrong. So listen, Jesus did not say that that man talking to him, who was being pretty honest, saying, I know something's missing. He was not saying he could not go to heaven. He simply warned that it would be very difficult for him to enter into eternal life. Why? For the same reason Adam and Eve most evidently went to hell. Because like Adam and Eve before him, he was trapped in the scheme of dysfunctional dominion. Money had him. He didn't have money. Money had him. You're not saved if money has you. Jesus said plainly, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You will either serve one and love him and 
hate the other or you'll serve the money and you'll hate God. Very black and white. Now, you can confuse the language and, and rationalize it. Well, I love God too, but it's not legitimate though. You're just fooling yourself. The Bible says it's one or the other. So, I think it's fair to say everybody in this room falls into one of those two categories. So, the Bible's not teaching us that you can't go to heaven if you have uh, money. If you have money, you can't go. And there are people that they read that story and they, they think that's what it's saying. It's not saying that. Number four, considering what just happened in the street with Jesus, Jesus knew exactly what that man needed. He said, I'm missing something, and Jesus was thinking, and I know exactly what it is. But Jesus did not tell him. He showed him. Jesus could have said, well, here's your problem. See, you're making the same mistake Adam and Eve made. And my father said, take dominion, and they said, well, we'll do it our own way, not your way. And my father said, obtain property, and they obtained it. And my father said, fill up the world with righteous children, and they wouldn't do it. They filled up the world with with disobedience. And your problem is the same as Adam and Eve's. You want to do it your way, and you don't really have money. Money has you, and you can't go to heaven like that. That's what's keeping you out of eternal life. That's the one thing you know you're missing. And so I'm going to show you the path of escape. You need to free yourself from the bondage of your greed. And since salvation could only have happened, you can't buy your salvation. That's not what he's saying either. And there's some people that look at that and they say, boy, I don't know, Jesus is confusing me. It's like he's telling the guy he's got to pay money to get saved and go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is pointing out, he's not really buying anything. He's pointing out that had it not been for the generosity beyond comprehension of Father God who gave his son, had it not been for a willingness to give that blows one's mind, giving, there would have been no redemption at Calvary. So if you're going to participate in salvation, which which is connected directly to the Father's generosity to give His Son for you, if you really want salvation, which comes from the givingness, if that's a word, of our Father in heaven, then entrance into a heaven run by a mighty God who is greatly generous in giving is that you must accept his generosity in your own life. So Jesus says, you're in bondage to money. Take all of it and give it to the poor. If he had done it, if he had stepped out in faith, instead of focusing on, I don't want to give, on the come and follow me, come and follow me. Jesus lacked for nothing. If he didn't have the cash, he said, Peter, here's what you do. Go down, catch a fish, open the fish's mouth, you'll find gold. How how do you make a guy like that poor? You can't make a guy like that poor. You take away everything Jesus had, he'd just go fishing. Take away away his sack lunch, he'll just make more food. You can't make it. It's not possible to make a guy like that poor. And so he wouldn't have looked poor. They gambled over his clothes. He dressed well. In that culture... We have to just deal with it, folks. In that culture, a rabbi was supposed to be blessed. He was supposed to be very prosperous and dignified. So Jesus was a rabbi. He wore the very best clothes. He had enough money to support all 12 of his disciples, their wives and their children, and he had enough left over that he needed to hire one guy, Judas Iscariot in particular, just to carry the bag around. Judas felt like there was enough money that he could steal some and no one would notice. 
This went on for three and a half years. Judas stealing money out of the bag because he thought, we got so much, no one will know I'm taking anything. I'm embezzling. So a lawyer walks up to a guy like this, and that kind of a guy says to him, sell all you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. That's not an invitation to poverty. There was nothing about come and follow me that was an invitation to poverty. Jesus didn't have to tell him in words, okay, here's your deal. You need to get born again. You need to repent of the problems inside your heart. You've kept the external laws of Moses, but inside your heart, you know you're not saved. You know you won't go to heaven when you die. And the reason is, he didn't say it explicitly. He showed him, here's what you lack. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. It was an invitation to step into true righteous dominion when you're establishing something on behalf of the kingdom of God and not yourself. He couldn't let go of his own little kingdom. That he, His property instinct, you see, was ruling his life. He was buying houses, buying land, buying clothes, had food. He was keeping the external laws. He was outwardly looking really successful, but inwardly he knew and Jesus knew he was going to suffer in hell. He just needed to make the switch. And the way that you make the switch, the way that you get your property instinct to submit to the law of God has always been and shall always forevermore be by giving. There is no other path to heaven but through Jesus Christ, and there is no other path to righteous dominion than giving. If you won't give, you cannot enter back into Eden and the flaming sword is waving in your face. So we're not talking about buying your way into heaven. We're talking about an understanding that Jesus paid it all. The price, the penalty, my ransom out of slavery, he paid it on the cross, and had it not been for the generosity and the giving of the Father of heaven, he would never have gone to the cross Therefore, I participate in my own salvation when I give. I give because of what he gave. I give because of what he's done. And I step into legitimately taking dominion on behalf of the kingdom by giving. There is no other path. What is it that you refuse to give? What part of your life, what part of the property... The money that you've acquired, just like this guy, let's not pick on him, let's talk about ourselves. All you've worked for up to your retirement, all the, you know, everything you've struggled for in life, and you've built it all up, put yourself in his shoes. Everything you've achieved, if you said to Jesus, I know I'm missing something, and Jesus said to you, I know what you lack. Take all that you have, Stop making it your driving passion and priority. Help other people who don't have it and follow me. You know what I think? There are a lot of scholars. I'm not a scholar, but there's a lot of scholars out there who agree with me. I think that guy was the guy God picked to become the 12th disciple to replace the guy that was already stealing out of the bag that God knew about. I think that that guy missed an opportunity to participate in changing the world as one of the apostles of the Lamb. And he missed his calling to become an apostle of the Lamb 
over stupid money. This is what you have to do. He wouldn't do it. That is the pathway, ladies and gentlemen, back into Eden. That is the decision that causes the angels with the flaming swords to sheathe them and welcome you back in from the place you were kicked out. Giving in response to the great giver of heaven. This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com.